All right. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the first week of our uh, new Sunday school year. Uh, you know, we kind of work things here kind of like the schools do. Our, our new year starts in, at the end of the summer, and we run through, uh, through the month of May, and, uh, and then, uh, you know, we, we break for the summertime. So, uh, so we're, this is our first week of new classes. So uh, welcome. Glad to have you here. What we're going to do today uh, is, is we're going to basically do an introductory class. We're going to look at what it is we're going to study throughout this, uh, I'll call it a semester, even though it is not quite a, a semester, and we'll talk a little bit more about that here in a, in a minute. So let's just open up with a word of prayer, and then we'll kind of get things started with, uh, with the class. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. Lord, uh, we just pray that you would guide us in everything that we do. We pray for each of the classes that are meeting, the, the children and, and the adults and, and the youth, Father, and we just pray that, uh, that your will would be done and your spirit would just control everything that we do. And we would learn the things that you want us to learn and be able to apply them to our lives. And, and Father, we just ask all these things in your precious name. Amen. All right. As I, as I was mentioning, at least for, for my classes, and, and for those of you who, some of you have been <laughs> sitting in my classes for, for a couple decades now, so it's, uh, it's amazing. Um, and what I usually like to do is I will either break the year into kind of two semesters and teach a class for like one semester and then a, a spring semester. Uh, or I will do like one long class for the entire year. Now, all of you that were with me through the study of Revelation, that was one long class for two years. Uh, so that's kind of, that kind of, you know, was a very different type of thing. Uh, that, that's the longest class I've ever, I've ever taught. I've taught a few that were a whole, whole year long, but not two years. Um, so this year we're going to kind of go back to a normal uh, you know, kind of the, our normal way of doing things, except it's also going to be a little bit different simply because there's going to be more Sundays I'm away uh, over this next year uh, than normal. Uh, usually I might miss one or two Sundays unless I would get sick or something uh, in the course of, of a year. Uh, but this, this year I'm going to be away two weeks in the fall, I'm going to be away at least one, possibly two weeks in the spring. Uh, I'm, I'm part of the group that's going uh, to Israel. So it, because it chops up the year a little bit, uh, you know, it, it, I'm going to change things around a little bit. So this year we're going to do kind of a series of four smaller classes. So the first one here, starting today, uh, it will, and it will run through the month of November, is going to be the current class that we're going to do, and it's called Recovering the Supernatural Worldview of the Bible. We'll talk about what that is all about here in, in just a little bit. Uh, there are two weeks I'm away. Actually, uh, Mark Jennings uh, ha has uh, been gracious enough to, to take those two classes, and he's just going to do, you know, something on his own, uh, you know, kind of whatever he wants to, to teach in those two weeks. It'll be good. Mark's always good. Um, and then at the end of November, uh, as we move into December, we're going to do a short class on Christmas uh, as part of our 100-year celebration, uh, and, and it's this theme for December is, is an old-fashioned Christmas. Well, I used to do this pretty much every year. I would take, you know, a, a break from the regular class, and in the month of, of uh, you know, of December, I would do classes with like a Christmas theme. So we're going to go back to that as kind of part of our 100-year anniversary, and I'm going to do like three classes uh, centered around Christmas in the month of, uh, of December. Then by the, the end of the new year, we will be, uh, you know, giving you guys all the new uh, church constitution and, and statement of faith and all of that. So I figured that would be a perfect time to do a class on basic Bible doctrine, since you will be, you know, having... The, the church statement of faith, you know, in your hands, it'd be a good time to kind of teach through that. Now, we, it will not be, I, the last time I did that, I took a whole year and taught basically systematic theology. It's not going to be that in-depth. 
Uh, it's going to be basic Bible doctrine, uh, and it'll cover about 12 weeks. And again, two of those weeks I will be in Israel, so uh, actually Glenn and I will both be in Israel, so Mark will, will be taking those you know, weeks also. And then uh, that'll bring us up to Easter, and then after Easter from there on out through the end of May, uh, we're going to do a series of classes, and I think this will be, this will be a lot of fun, uh, on what we learned in Israel. Uh, and, and we'll kind of show some, some you know, pictures, maybe even some videos, ha- probably have a few interviews, uh, look at some Bible stories from these different places. It's kind of almost a way of being able to take all of you that could not go to Israel but would like to, we're going to kind of take you on a little mini trip uh, to Israel. Okay, so that's the plan for the year. So there you go. That's, you know, any of you who, who kind of like to be with my classes, that you know what we're going to do for the year, at least tentatively. Of course, God can always change things, um, but that's kind of where we're at right now. Now, as far as the class that, that we are currently going to be in for the, the next um, 11 weeks here, next nine weeks, you know, that, that I'll actually be teaching, Recovering the supernatural worldview of the Bible, what is that all about? Um, I, I was just laughing with these guys. I've had so many questions over the course of the last several weeks here, like, what in the world is this class about? Um, so that's what I'm going to try to explain to you uh, today. Most of the questions, at least in my mind, uh, as I was kind of preparing for this and thinking about doing it, were, one, why study this topic? And these are the questions I've asked myself. This is what I kind of always ask myself as I'm kind of preparing for what I'm going to do uh, as a class. You know, I'll get ideas in my head and I'll kind of roll them around and just keep rolling them around and, and, you know, pray about and ask God what he wants me to teach. And usually what happens is sooner or later, one idea just kind of solidifies itself in my mind and just won't let me go. You know, I can't get that. And and that was what happened with this. And, And about... Uh, maybe three weeks ago, I nearly abandoned this topic. Uh, just like, you know, it, it, I don't know. I don't know if this is the right thing to teach right now. And I woke up the next morning, and it was just, boom, like in my head, like just wouldn't let me go. And I thought, okay, God, seems pretty obvious you want me to, to teach this, so here we go. Uh, and, and so th- that's what we're going to do. So why study this topic uh, why do I want to teach this topic, and, and, and why do I see it as important? All right, well, that's, uh, the first thing I want to do today is try to answer those questions. Um, basically, there's four answers. One, when it comes to the topic of the supernatural, there is incredible interest in the world out there. I, I mean, you all see this, I'm, I'm sure. All you have to do is turn on a television. You turn on a television, you, you see like The Walking Dead and all the different spinoffs of The Walking Dead. I think there's like three or four different spinoffs now of The Walking Dead. Uh, you guys, how many of you remember The X-Files? This will date you a little bit, but you know, for those younger ones, you've probably seen them in, you know, it, you know showing up in reruns. Um, I'm old enough to remember when they were actually on. Uh, the show Supernatural, uh, the show Stranger Things. Uh, and of course, we could go on and on and on, Charmed, and there was even one crazy show that kind of turn, tried to turn Lucifer into some sort of a misunderstood like kind of hero. Uh, so, I mean, some of this stuff is such nonsense. Some of it's really good. Some of it's very entertaining television. Um, th- so there's a super interest in this out there, but the problem a lot of times for Christians is we don't know enough about what the Bible says about this stuff to really answer anybody's questions, to even answer our own. I, I, mean, I can't tell you the amount of times through the years I've had somebody come up to me and say, hey, you know, did you ever see that show on TV? Is that possible? Like, like does the Bible talk about anything like that? Uh, you know, or people are reading a book or they saw a movie or, or, or whatever, and, and, and people will ask me, hey, what do you think about this? You know, what's the Bible have to say about this? And sometimes I can give them an answer, and sometimes it takes a little bit of, little bit of homework to give, to give them an answer. But what I've found is that God's people are interested, 
but they don't really know how to respond a lot of times. Uh, and, and for anything that, that is this kind of popular, this much a part of our culture, we really need to have some, some sort of, of response. We need to be able to, to talk to people uh, in, in a biblical way and, 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 you know, explain this to them. Let me just give you a story uh, from my own life to kind of give you an idea of what I'm talking about. Um, oh, this is so many years ago, I couldn't possibly remember exactly how many, but it's been a long time, uh, probably 25, 30 years ago. But I, I was at a party uh, for, you know, some people at church at, 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 at their house and a whole bunch of us from church there at this kind of... Uh, a, a, a typical, uh, you know, kind of uh, church party, a whole lot of food and a whole lot of talking. You know, a lot of fun, uh, just hanging out with people, eating and talking and, and, and shooting the bull. Um, and at some point, and I don't remember the circumstances, but at some point somebody, I guess, said something about ghosts. Are ghosts real? Are, are spirits real? And, and right away, of course, somebody kind of like jumped in there, oh, there's no such thing, you know, uh, Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, and that was their answer. Well, then somebody asked me, and it, Brian, what do you think? And I'm like, well, I honestly don't know that I can completely agree with that answer. I said, because I know of one ghost for certain in, in the Bible, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost. I said, if, if, if a ghost is like a sheet floating around with holes cut out for eyes, then no, I don't believe that they're, they're real. I don't see anything in the Bible that would even make me, you know, lean that direction. But if ghosts are spirits, depending on how we define what it is, well, then we certainly as Christians believe in spirits. The Bible says that when we die, our spirits go to be with, with either the Lord or, or, or they go to e eternal separation from God. We are spiritual beings. You know, we're, we're, we're human fleshly beings, but we have a spirit. The Bible also teaches that there are a series of spiritual beings, that that is their very nature. Angels, demons. So we believe in the spiritual. And, and uh, you know, we have to be careful with just kind of quick flippant answers that really are not always theologically sound. To be absent from the body is, you know, to be present with the Lord is a verse about assurance for the Christian. It's telling the believer, and only the believer, not unbelievers, it's telling the believer that when they die, they will be with God. That doesn't mean that nothing else happens. All you have to do is look at the life of Jesus in the Mount of Transfiguration where the spirits of, of Moses and Elijah come and, and appear before Christ and, and three of the, the disciples. So we read way too much into things. We'll take passages to mean things they don't really mean. And, and, and so, you know, I, I learned a lesson that night. It's like, well, no, wait a minute here. We, maybe we don't know quite as much about this stuff as what, what we think. What does the Bible actually say about some of these things? Now, you might say, well, that's a long time in coming, 30 years ago to now, and, and so, yes, it is. It, uh, I guess you could say in one way or another, I've thought about this topic for many, many years, uh, but, you know, just never saw the, the real need to teach it until, until now. Another answer to this question of why teach this, why do I think it's important? is in the Christian world, when it comes to, to the supernatural, when it comes to miracles, uh, things like that, there tends to be two divisions within the Christian world. There are the people who are, are all about miracles all the time. Everything is a miracle. Uh, you know, there's miracles happening constantly. Then there's people who are on the other side of that issue, and they almost are completely distrustful of anything that's miraculous. In fact, at times, even try to uh, almost like apologize for the Bible's view on miracles. Well, neither of those things is biblically accurate. You know, it, it's just not. You know, the miracles, of course, happen in the Bible quite often, but, but if you ever really, and this is one thing we're going to do at some point during the class, probably the last week of the class, um, take the time sometimes to kind of map out miracles in the Bible. 
what are truly miraculous, not just amazing things that happen, but true miracles, which means there is no natural definition, no natural explanation for what is happening. You can't look at it and say, oh, there's a completely natural way of, of, of explaining that. A true miracle has no natural explanation. It's something that can only be done by a higher power in some way. That's a true miracle, all right? Part of the problem with miracles is people are always trying to redefine what a miracle is. But what a miracle actually is, is something that has no human explanation, no natural explanation. Those things are very rare in the Bible. Oh, they certainly happen. The Bible is a miraculous book. But sometimes just take the time to think about, you know, kind of do like a little bit of a Bible survey and, and you know, the, the times that you see miracles happen and then how, like, long the stretches are in between one miracle and another. Particularly when it comes to people being miracle workers, where God gives somebody the ability to perform miracles, you know, for a period of time. That is extraordinarily rare in the Bible. In fact, it tends to be clustered all together at, at certain, you know, kind of uh, strategic places in, in salvation history. The amount of, of the great Bible heroes that never performed a miracle, it, it's actually the, the vast majority of them. So it's a rare thing. But it is a thing that's there. You know, and, and so for, for some, you know, they, they're kind of reading, they want to read miracles into it far too much. However, I've also had the other, you know, the other side of the coin, where I've been teaching a class, and maybe you, you're, as part of that class, you're talking about a miracle that, that happened. Let's just take, uh, you know, Moses and, and the Israelites, uh, you know, escaping Israel, or escaping Egypt, and all the, the miracles that happened along the way, like the parting of the Red Sea. You know, and you'll be teaching a class, and somebody will raise their hand, and they say, well, you know, it, it, isn't there like, like, like a, a real, like, natural explanation for that? Like the wind was just blowing really hard that day, and it blew like the, the sea open, and they walked through, and I'm like, no, no, not really. What the Bible's clearly trying to say is a miracle happened. God performed a miracle to save them. That's what the Bible's teaching. You know, we can't kind of talk ourselves out of it because we're kind of embarrassed by believing in a miracle. So, so believe me, I mean, through 30-some years of, of teaching the Bible, I've, I've encountered both sides of this, this, you know, divide many, many times. And, and, and most Christians seem to be kind of on one you know, fence or the other. The question is, is there a middle ground? And I would argue, yes, there is. We can believe that miracles have happened, they still happen, and they will continue to happen. But we don't have to see one happening in everything that happened. That's just not sound. And, and we shouldn't try to look to explain it away in a natural way when we do see something happen, okay? I mean, it's, it's uh, you know, both of those things are just not necessarily correct. Now, I understand some of the reasonings, and let me, let me kind of talk about this a little. The, the, the one side that, that's all about miracles all the time, well, you know, for a lot of those people, they want a little bit of excitement, they want a little bit of power in their life. You know, uh, especially if they're going through difficult times in their life. You know, and, and they're wanting a, a, a miracle to happen. You know, they, they want there to be something exciting and something to, to kind of give them, uh, you know, renewed hope, give them power that they don't have in life. I get it. I get it. Um, some of you heard me relay this story before, but for those of you who haven't, I'll, I'll just give you a personal story. Uh, this is, oh, I don't know five, six years ago, um, my, my dad, uh, who's passed now, both of my parents are passed, but I was the caregiver for them, and I came home from work on a Christmas Eve, and my dad was laying on the, uh, the, the floor in, in, in the living room, and he had fallen, and he, he couldn't get up, and, and those of you who, know, who knew my mom, uh, she suffered from severe mental illness, and she, she 
was not great in a panic situation. Um, she couldn't figure out what to do. She couldn't remember any numbers to call, even 911. Um, so I walked through the door into this, you know, thing happening. So I got him up, and uh, he was shook up, and he couldn't talk to me. He, he just, you know, was kind of gibberish. And, and I was like, you know, we probably need to get you to the hospital. And I no, 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 he didn't want to go to the hospital. And so at first I thought, well, you know, he's shook up can't talk, and so I got him in a chair, and he didn't, you know, he didn't want to go to the hospital, and we sat there for a long time, and, and so finally, after, after, you know, probably a couple hours, I, you know, he still couldn't talk, and it just was bothering me, and I said, Dad, if you can't put a sentence together for me, if you can't give me a, a, a coherent sentence, we're going to the, to the doctor whether you like it or not, you know, I'm calling, you know, 911, well, he couldn't do it. So I called 911, they came and got him, rushed him to the hospital, and he had a brain bleed. And by the time he got there, his, uh, there was so much blood in his brain that it had forced his brain completely over, you know, across like the, the, the lateral line of his brain over to one side. And the doctor told me right there, he said, I don't, I don't know if, if your dad will survive this night. Um, he said, I'll tell you this, he said, he's a tough old bird. I said, yeah, you, you don't have to tell me that. I already knew that. Uh, he said, I can't really believe he's, you know, he, he's as strong as he is right now. But he said, we're going to have to take him to Hershey. He said, well, I, you know, we don't do this kind of thing. It's going to need to be done here. And so off to Hershey, um, they went. And that's how I spent my Christmas Eve that night. Tim Ream uh, makes me cry every time I think about it. Drove in, picked me up, took me down. He's like, you can't be driving down here and do this on your own. And uh, we sat there all Christmas morning in Hershey's waiting room in the neurosciences building while they drilled a couple of great big holes in my dad's head to let the, let the pressure out. And who comes on the TV in the middle of the night? The, only, the two of us are all that's there. <laughs> you know, Tim stretched across a couple chairs trying to sleep. I don't know how he slept that night. Uh, you know, I, I, you know, couldn't sleep, obviously, at all. And I'm just praying and praying and praying. And Peter Popoff, and for, I don't know if any of you who know who Peter Popoff is, but Peter Popoff pops on the, the television set, uh, you know, trying to get people to send in money so they can get, like, the Tears of Mary or some miracle healing spring water or something. I don't remember what it was. Um, and you have no idea how much I wanted to believe what he was selling that night. I mean, wanted to believe it, struggling to, you know, wanting to believe it, wanting to call that, that 800 line, wanting to, to believe what he was selling, but I couldn't, I just couldn't, partly because I know Peter Popoff's a fraud. I watched him get busted one night on Johnny Carson, along with several other probably 10 million people that night. I watched a debunker actually, you know, prove him to be a fake on, on, on The Tonight Show one night. So I, I knew he was a complete fraud. He had been proven to be one. You know, and, and, but boy, what a temptation that night was. So you know what I did? I just kept on praying, kept on crying, kept on praying. Sometime early in the morning, the doctor walked through and he said, everything went great, your dad <laughs> said, man, you know, it's a tough guy. Second doctor that night told me that. He said, uh, he, so far he seems to be really good. You know, he recovered, never lost speech, never lost any faculties. Doctors were like, Wow. You know, this is pretty awesome. Not a miracle. It wasn't a miracle. You know what God used that night? The very talented mind and hands of some doctors that he had given great skills to and some nurses who he had given great skills to. And that night, they saved my dad's life. God was still behind it because all the skills they had were given to them by the Lord. I praise the Lord and I praise those doctors. You know, it, I, I get the temptation. I get it. But I just couldn't buy it. 
You know, I just couldn't buy it. So I understand why some people, you know, why you want that. You know, another thing is, is many people are just very driven by emotion. Everything that drives them is, 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 is emotional. Now, again, I get it because I'm an emotional person, as you guys well know. You know, I see kittens, I cry. You know, not quite true, but, you know, you guys get the idea. You know, that, that's, I've just always been an emotional person. And, and I don't apologize for that. It's the way God wired me. I, I, I spent many years of my life trying to almost, uh, you know, drive that part of me out of me and just become kind of like this thinking logic machine. And, and finally I realized I'm driving a part of me that God meant to be there all the time out of me. And, and I'm not going to do that anymore. So now when I, you know, I blubber up and cry and, you know, right in front of you guys and it doesn't bother me. You know. So I get it. Now, yeah, 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 yeah. Depends if you're a cat or dog person. <laughs> uh, you know, on the other side of the coin, I also get where they're coming from. Many of them have seen the excesses of, the, of kind of the miracles crap. Like I had with Peter Popoff. I mean, I'll never forget that night, literally on the, on the, the, the Tonight Show, of all things. The amazing Randy, if any of you have ever heard of him, he was a... He's dead now. He was a skeptic. He was not a believer. World-class magician, you know, and he became a debunker at the end of his life. And, and unfortunately for them, one, one kind of faith healer after another, he, he kind of went and just exposed as being fraud. Uh, you know, and, and so a lot of people have kind of seen those things. They've heard of these guys that get, you know, have gotten caught, you know, and, and exposed and and, you know, so then we tend to go the whole way the other direction. One of the miraculous things can't happen then. But that's not biblical either. I know of several instances of friends of mine who've experienced miracles in their lives. Never actually at the hand of a faith healer. But one of my very best friends, his son was healed of a, of a brain, you know, a problem in his brain that existed since he was a child uh, and and they, they were about to have to do another surgery, like I don't know how many they had done on, on, on this kid, but when he hit, I don't know, 17 years old or so, they, you know, the, the shunt like in his brain had kind of grown shut again, and they thought they were going to have to do another surgery and again down at Hershey, and they get down there, and, and they're getting ready to, for the surgery, and they do like their last MRI and stuff, and the doctor's like, the problem's gone. I can't explain it. And that's what the doctor said. When the doctors are coming out saying, look, this is a miracle, there is no earthly explanation for what I just saw. What do you do with that? So, you know, I, I've known, you know, where, where circumstances like this have happened. So we can't just throw out the idea of miracles. Another problem we come into is we are very often affected by the way the world thinks. We as Christians don't realize how much the way the world thinks affects us. But we're in the world every day and we hear kind of the way it approaches things, the way it thinks. And so we often are, are almost looking for ways to apologize for the Christian, Christian belief in miracles. Well, it can't be a miracle. I've got to think of another way that that could have happened. So we think of things like other ways that like the sea could have parted, you know, or, or some kind of, uh, you know, astronomical thing that that's a good explanation for this Bible verse or that Bible verse, instead of the very obvious fact that the Bible is saying that this is a miracle. So that's part of why I wanted to do this class, is try to provide a biblical middle ground that says, yes, miracles are possible, God still does miracles, and we don't have to you know, make up fake miracles in order for God to be powerful. We, we don't need to do either of those things. Let's try to find a, a middle ground. So that's, that's kind of answer two. Answer three, 
for why to do this class is because there are dangerous influences out there. Uh, the growth of, of things like the New Age, of cults, of the occult, it's, it's just rapid right now, the growth of it. And unfortunately, Christians get caught up in this the same way as the lost do. And most of the time without any idea that they're caught up in it. You know, one of the, the, the real targets for, the, uh, for, for cults, uh, you know, a lot, well, it's anybody who's kind of looking or desperately looking for answers, um, things like that. But a lot of times it's, it's kids who grew up in churches and got turned off, you know, because of whatever reason, uh, you know, they thought it was boring or their parents, you know, weren't really living Christian lives or, or you know, they got caught up with the wrong friends, whatever the reason may be. You know, and, and they kind of get turned off, but they're, they, they believe that there's something. Well, they're, the, like, they're one of the biggest targets for the cult. I, you know, because they can say, hey, let me tell you the truth about those things, and, and here you're going to be loved and accepted, and, and next thing you know, they're caught up into something where they're neither loved nor accepted, uh, and there's no truth in sight. But they're caught in something, and they don't know how to get themselves out of it. And it happens by the thousands all the time. There are dangerous things out there in the world. The amount of Christians who are caught up in, in new age practices, it I mean, is staggering. You know, it, 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 I, I mean, I know of situations that have just recently happened in a local church, um, you know, where, where, you know, they, they had to try to deal with this very type of thing where, you know, people started to kind of teach classes on something that was not biblically sound and, you know, the leadership had to make a decision, you know, how, how are we going to handle this? How are we going to deal with, with this? Are we going to deal with this? And unfortunately, in a lot of churches, they just don't deal with it. Oh, well, hey, if they want to teach it, go ahead. You know, wrong answer. You know, um, and, and so this is incredibly prevalent right now in, in our world. So how do we respond to this? How do we protect ourselves? How do we protect, uh, you know, the people that we love? How do we answer people's questions on these things? Uh, you know, we just are, are often not particularly well equipped. It's not that the Bible doesn't say anything about it. It's that we don't know enough of what it says or feel confident enough in the things that we know in order to really talk to people about these types of things. So part of what we're going to do in this class is we're going to take a look at some of these things, like how to, what is a cult and how do you, how do you recognize it? You know, uh, again, in a lot of ways, the, the class that I'm going to teach at the beginning of next year is really just, you know, this class is leading into that class. Because at the beginning of next year, up through, you know, uh, the, the end of uh, the month of March, we are going to be looking at what we believe. What does the Bible teach? The best way to stay out of these situations is to know what the Bible actually teaches. That is the best way to stay out of this. Okay, so what we're going to try to do here for a couple of weeks uh, in this class is kind of expose what some of these things are, how to recognize what a cult is, you know, some of those types of things. And obviously, again, this is, you know, these are kind of survey topics. We're not going to touch on every cult that's out there or every new age practice. We just possibly, we don't possibly have the time to do that. But we're going to, you know, try to give you enough information so you kind of now know what to look for and you know what to say if somebody comes up to you and say, says, hey, uh, I'm in this situation here. What do you think of this? And you can say, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. You know, kind of alarm bells are starting to ring here in my mind. Maybe you need to, to think about this. Maybe you need to not go down that path. Can I get you, in, and maybe you're still not confident enough to, to sit down and have a, a, a long conversation about some of the different things, 
but at least you'll know enough to say, I think there's a problem. And then you can put them in touch with somebody else. You know, you can come talk to Pastor Glenn or myself or one of the elders or, or whoever, and you can say, hey, could you talk to this person for us? You know, I, I kind of think maybe there's an issue. So, you know, it, part of what I want to do with this is just kind of arm you. You know, give you some kind of tools in your toolbox so you know kind of what to look for, uh, you know, it, 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 when we're talking about these types of things. All right? The fourth answer to this is that it will help you to understand your Bibles better. I, you know, most of you know me pretty well, and, and you know that that's, you know, that's a big thing for me, <laughs> you know, is, is how do we understand our Bibles, how do you, um, that, that's one of my big focuses as a teacher is to help you understand your Bible. Now, I want to make you students of your Bible. Uh, I, I've never kind of liked that whole concept of teaching where, you know, one person just stands up there and speaks and everybody just believes what that person says. I, I just, one, I know how much of a goofball I am, you know, and, and how sinful I am, just like everybody else, and I would never ask anybody to just believe it because I said it. My word, please don't ever do that. <laughs> There's not many things that scare me more than you just believing whatever I say. Um, you know, it, it, we have to be humble enough to understand that we're all frail, sinful people. You know, I'm saved by grace just like everybody else. And so what I want to do, I, I want to be trustworthy. And believe me, I, I'll never try to mislead you. But that doesn't mean I won't from time to time just because I'm an idiot. And I'm going to get things wrong. You know, that's just, that's just the way it is. And, and if I do that and I realize it, I'll come back to you and apologize. And probably most of you have heard me say that in a class before. Hey, remember when I said this last week? I think I had that completely wrong. You know? I mean, it, it just happens sometimes. It's part of being human. But what I want to do is, yes, I want you to trust me, but then I want to I want to make you hungry enough for your Bible that you then go and get in your Bible. That's what I want. And I want you to try to learn and understand it on your own and be a student. You know, my real goal kind of in a lot of this is, well, as a teacher, I have basically two goals. One, I want to make you adore Jesus. That's first and foremost. You know, I want you to see how awesome Jesus Christ is. And, and that, that, you know, you adore him and love him more than anything in the world. The second thing, I want to make you students of your Bible. And I'll be glad to kind of lead you on that journey, but I want you to take the journey right along with me, okay? And so... This fourth topic is important to me. It, this will help us to understand our Bibles. I'm sure a lot of you have already realized this. Some of you may not. I know some of you are, are, are new in the faith. Um, you know, I, the Bible has a lot of difficult passages. It does. You know, that's not something we should hide from, something that we should embrace. This is God communicating to man. He is doing it in our language. He's doing it, it you know, with, with people that, that, you know, in their particular cultures and their times in history, you know, he's speaking to us through his word. And so at times, it's going to be hard to understand. He's speaking of supernatural things. And they're not always easy for us to wrap our little kind of natural minds around. He's also, you know, the Bible is a very old book. It's an ancient book. It was originally written to people you know, thousands of years ago. The newest parts of it are almost 2,000 years old. The newest parts. The oldest parts of it, many of them are over 3,000. So it's hard for us to understand. You know, pick up a copy of like the Odyssey or the Iliad and just start reading it once and see how well you understand it the things they're talking about. 
You know, I mean, it's not always easy to understand ancient things. You know, how many of you ever read Shakespeare when you're in school? How well did you do with the understanding of that? Weren't you glad they had those little notes in the bottom explaining what the words were and what was going on? Yeah. Because it, it's hard to crawl back into another culture and, and understand what was happening in that culture at that time. But you know, that is how you're expo- supposed to study the Bible. If you want to understand what the Bible says, you can't read it and try to understand it like, like a 21st century American. It, it wasn't written in that culture and in that time. What you have to do is put yourself in the mind of the people then. That takes study. That takes work. That takes you digging in. That's the only way you can really understand what God was saying to them because they were the ones he was speaking to. They were the initial audience. There's one uh, Old Testament professor that I really enjoy uh, listening to. He he recently passed away back here in the spring. Um, but, But he always basically says, if you want to understand your Bible, you have to put you know, yourself in the mind of an ancient Jew. You know, if you want to understand the Old Testament, put yourself in the mind of an ancient Jew. If you want to understand the, the Gospels, put yourself in, in, in the mind of a first century Jewish person. That's the only way you can understand it. You know, if, if you want to understand the New Testament, the, like the letters of Paul, you kind of have to know a little bit of the Jewishness and you have to understand the, the, the Greek culture. In the Roman culture of the time, you, you know, that's how you get these things. Well, we have a lot of passages in our Bible that are very hard to understand. Hopefully, this study will help you understand some of those passages better. We're going to be dealing with some of those passages. Let me just read a couple to you to give you an idea. And I'm not going to give you the answers to these today. We're not going to talk about it a lot today. I want to just give you a a taste of what exactly it is I'm talking about. Turn in your Bibles to Psalm 82. The particular Old Testament scholar that I'm talking about, this was a kind of a landmark passage for him when he was getting his doctorate in Hebrew. Um, and he came across this and it kind of like almost rearranged his world and kind of set his course of study for the rest of his, of his life. Um, amazing. And you notice I said he got this while he was getting his doctorate in Hebrew. He already had several master's degrees, a, a, a bachelor's degree from Bob Jones. He, you know, he had all this education and never noticed this passage until he was getting a doctorate in Hebrew. So that just goes to show you, no matter how well educated you are, there's a lot of things in the Bible that, that we just never really kind of notice till we notice. And then sometimes when we're do, we, we do, we're like, what in the world is that all about? Well, that, this is this type of passage. I want to just read, it's only eight verses. Let me read chapter 82, Psalm 82 to you. And this is from the New Living Translation. By, by the way, um, I've looked this passage up in numerous kind of commentaries and stuff, and the New Living Translation, its translation of this really pretty much nails it as far as how like Hebrew scholars translate this passage, okay? So this is a very kind of accurate translation. Psalm 82. It said, God presides over heaven's court. Now right away, that first phrase, some of you might be going, what? Heaven's court? I didn't know heaven had a court, okay? He pronounces judgment on the heavenly beings. How long will you hand down unjust decisions by favoring the wicked? Give justice to the poor and the orphan. Uphold the rights of the oppressed and the destitute. Rescue the poor and helpless. Deliver them from the grasp of evil people. But these oppressors know nothing. They are so ignorant. They wander about in darkness while the whole world is shaken to the core. And this is the part that kind of blew this guy's mind. I say you are gods. Gods with a small g. The word there is Elohim. I say you are Elohim. You are all children of the Most High. That is the the Hebrew word, Beni Elohim. You are all Elohim. You are all Beni Elohim. 
but you will die like mere mortals and fall like every other ruler. Rise up, O God, and judge the earth, for all the nations belong to you. Now, who in the world are these guys? What's that? Well, that's one interpretation, but it's only one. And actually, it's debatable whether it's the right one. So it's, no, not us. No, it's not us. We've never been in heaven's court. That's one thing for sure it's not. People are looking at fallen angels. Some of it uh, uh, kind of refer to this as kind of Israel in kind of like a uh, prophetic type of way, which probably doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Uh, Others look at it as a completely other uh, spiritual being, uh, what, what some of the Jews called the watchers. We will, like I said, we do not have time to get into that today, but we're going to touch on that down the line here. But, you know, this, this guy's a PhD student in, in a top-line Hebrew program, and he reads this passage, and he's like, oh, my goodness, I don't know what to do with this. What do you think our chances are? Probably not great. Thank goodness we have people like him, you know, who have spent their lifetime dealing with these types of issues. But see, you come across that, and we do one of two things. We either don't pay any attention to it, and we get by it as fast as we can get by it. Or we get really confused, and we don't know what to do, and we just go on in this kind of confused situation. And, you know, sometimes that's okay. There, let me just throw this out there right now. I'm not guaranteeing you I'm going to give you all the right answers on all this stuff. Remember the thing I just got done saying about how I don't know all the answers either? Sometimes you have to just say, God, I just don't understand this, and that's okay. That's okay to just be that honest, and and God's answer to us is maybe you won't ever understand it until you get to heaven, and then I can sit down and explain it to you. You know, I, I mean, sometimes we just will never understand But that doesn't mean we shouldn't try. Remember, this is part of the Bible. God put this here for a reason. He wants us to grapple with these things. There's things here he wants us to to, to at least try to grasp, try to to wrap our minds around. But a lot of times we just go, boom, right on past them. Okay? Let me read another one to you. Turn to the book of Daniel, chapter 10. Many of you are going to be very familiar with this. In fact, some of you might know what I'm going to turn to even before I tell you. But Daniel 10, verses 12 through 14. Here Daniel has been, uh, he's been given a vision and, and, and an angel has uh, you know, visited him to explain the, the vision to him. And the angel says this to him, in, in, starting in verse 12. Then he said to me, don't be afraid, Daniel. Since the first day you, you began to pray for understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your request has been heard, and, uh, heard in heaven. I have come in answer to your prayer. That sounds really awesome right there. And man, an, an actual angel comes to Daniel and says, Daniel, you're so beloved by God, you've been praying for this answer. God sent me to give you the answer. The mind-boggling part is in the next verse. But for 21 days, the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia blocked my way. Then Michael, one of the archangels, came to help me, and I left him there with the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia. Now I am here to explain what will happen to your people in the future, for this vision concerns a time yet to come. (laughs) Wow. Okay, so God sent an angel, and whoever this prince of Persia is, this spirit prince of Persia, basically fought him for 21 days and kept that angel from coming to Daniel. Who's this guy? Who are these things that it can actually keep an angel from doing what God wants the angel to do? And another, one of the archangels, like the ruling angels, had to come and basically take over the fight while this messenger went to Daniel. That's pretty mind-blowing. Now, those of you, about, I don't know, four or five years ago, I taught Daniel, and so some of you probably already know, you know the, the different possibilities here. 
Uh, but for those of you who don't, we will talk about this in a few weeks. Okay, there'll be a nice teaser for you. We just kind of have to hold on to that, and we're going to come back to it in a few weeks. But you guys get the point. These are only two passages that I picked out. Two, you know, well, simple. They're, they're not simple to understand, but they're simple to read, and that's why I picked them for today. Two simple passages that are difficult to understand, and a lot of times we just kind of go, our, our eyes kind of glaze over, and we just kind of like go right on past them. Uh, I mean, there are some... Uh, this, this same Bible scholar that I was mentioning, he said he was in a church one time while he was a, a doctrinal student in, in the state of Wisconsin, and, and uh, they, they hit a passage in, in uh, I think it was either First or Second Peter, which is just a, woo-hoo, uh, that's, a, uh, that's a tough one to understand, boy, about, you know, people being imprisoned under chains and darkness and and all kind of stuff like that, and he, and, and he said when the, the, it came that week, you know, for the pastor to preach on that, that particular passage, and he said he'd been looking forward to it all week, like wanting to hear, well, not in a critical way, but just, man, I want to hear what the pastor has to say about this. The pastor got up and says, well, that, this passage, I'm not even going to deal with this. This is just too crazy. I'm not even going to try to touch this, and he skipped on to the next one, and the guy said, you know, he, he basically left the church after that. He's like, you know, well, if we're not at least willing to deal with these things, uh, you know. But that's how, a lot, that's how we do it. I know wonderful pastors, wonderful, godly men who will not touch the book of Revelation because it's just too hard. Too hard, too complicated, too, too controversial. hate to say that, but it causes too much arguments amongst their people. You know, everybody has an opinion. Most of them aren't really based on much, but they have an opinion and they want to argue with the pastor about it. So, you know, it, it, a lot of them won't touch it for that reason. So, you know, that's part of why I wanted to do this. We're going to touch on so, some highly charged areas of the Bible. Uh, you know, so I, I'm going to tell you right off the bat that I, I don't necessarily have all the answers on this. But we are going to touch on them because they're there. You know, they're there, and if we, if we can get any kind of handle on them, they'll help us understand our Bibles better. They may make some sense of other passages. By the way, if you have, I think if you have a decent handle on Psalm 82, you'll probably have a decent handle on Daniel 10. See, that's kind of how it works. So that, that's part of what we're going to try to do, okay, over the course of, 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 of you know, the next following eight uh, classes. So let me, in the last few minutes we have here, uh, let me give you kind of the outline for the class. And, and I'll give you the titles. Um, I've tried to make the titles for each class kind of, you know, eye-catching or at least funny uh, to kind of like lighten the mood just a little bit in some of these things. But next week we're going to talk about gardens and mountains. Gardens and mountains. Well, you know, gardens and mountains show up a lot in the Bible, particularly in the Old Testament. Why do they do that? Why do mountains show up so much? And, and, and I'm not talking about as geographical features. Yes, they show up as geographical features. But mountains show up as very important places. Why do you think God meant with, you know, with Moses on a mountaintop? You know, Jesus and the Mount of Transfiguration, I mean, you could go on and on and on, and the Bible goes on and on and on. Mountains are very important places. Gardens are important places. Why did God plant an, a garden east of Eden? What was that all about? It's about a whole lot more than just the creation. The creation had already taken place. But most of the time we read those first two or three chapters of Genesis, all we're thinking about is the creation, and we're missing the point of like 90% of what's happening in those passages. So what is going on in Eden? Why was man created? And we're going to look at a man-made mountain at Babel. And what was that all about? Once you kind of understand what mountains are about, you understand Babel a whole lot better. Okay? August the 1st, we're going to deal with the verses we just talked about. The title is, So Who Are These Guys? That's what that week's going to be about. We're going to look at Genesis chapter 6. We're going to look at Psalm 82, Daniel chapter 10, verses 12 through 14, and Deuteronomy chapter 32. 
if we get through all those. And by the way, we will not carry over any passage to the next week. That's how I usually do it. That's not gonna happen in this one. It's such a compressed time, and we're dealing with one topic a week, so whatever we get done, we'll get done. Okay, it's just gonna be the nature of this class. So we're gonna look at those passages and try to answer that question, who are these guys, and what is this talking about? And we get the, the time at the end of that class, we'll probably weave it through the class, we're gonna talk about the supernatural nature of idolatry. That when you choose to worship something other than God, it, it, you, you are making supernatural choices, okay? October 8th, we're going to look at the spirit beings, angels, Satan, and demons. Who and what are they, what, what they are not, okay? I'll give you a hint. They are not like dead people that become angels. That's not, how, that's not what angels are. Okay. Where did they come from? And what do they do? So that's going to be that week. October 15th. I try to be a little funny here. Probably most some of you will get this reference, some of you will not. Danger Will Robinson, part 1. Okay? There are dangers out there, and boy, I wish we had like a little robot that would kind of say to us when we are near danger and don't realize it, danger, danger, but we don't have that. What we have is the Bible and the Holy Spirit, and that's better than any robot. So that's going to be part one of that class is going to be looking at the subtle dangers of the new age and how it differs from the Bible, kind of what to look for in those things, all right? 22nd will be Danger Will Robinson Part 2. We'll look at the growth and danger of cults and knowing what, what is true and what's not true and kind of what to recognize when you're seeing these things. October 29th, which is the Sunday before Halloween, okay? Ghosts and goblins and ghouls, oh my. That's going to be that week's class. Do ghosts exist? What about monsters, what's the Bible say about witchcraft, things like that. We'll look at what the Bible has to say about those things and try to come with a biblical perspective of those things, all right? November 5th, and this is the one probably I'm looking forward to the most because I think this is the most profound, Jesus' battle with the forces of darkness. Until you understand some of these things, you don't realize how much the life of Christ was a, was a life of spiritual warfare, how he battled for our souls. I, I, I can't wait to get to this class. We're going to look at his temptation, storms on the sea, I, I will build my church, the battlefield of the crucifixion, Jesus as the rider on the clouds. We're going to look at all those things. Those are all supernatural events. Events that because we don't understand kind of the Jewish culture, the Jewish context, the ancient context of these things, we don't really fully understand what's happening in those events. Once you do, your Savior will not only be your Savior, he'll become your hero. Because that is truly what he is. It's heroic language. He is the greatest hero of all time. He's the model of every other hero that we have. So that, that's going to be that week. And then Mark will have the, the, the 12th and the 19th when I'll be away. And then I'll be back for the 26th. And, and we'll, we'll move toward a biblical doctrine of miracles. That last week we're going to look at miracles in the Bible, how they work, what, how frequent they are, what they mean, why they're, why they're used in the Bible. And we'll try to uh, you know, develop a more biblical doctrine that will not be on either side uh, of the extreme of that issue, okay? So that's the plan. My golly, 10 o'clock right on the dot. That does not happen very often. You know, first week, man, I'm, I'm excited. That just means I can preach longer. Nah, I nah, won't do that. <laughs> All right, let's... Uh, Let's, let's, I wish I had some time for some questions, but we can do that next week. Um, let's, let's just close in prayer, and, and uh, we'll get ready for the, the service to come. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, we thank you for this, this day. Lord, uh, we thank you uh, for giving us another year and that we are back here in, in Sunday school and, and all the different classes and it's an exciting time. It's, it's always a, a fun time to kind of get the, the, the church year rolling again and, and we're looking forward to it, Father. And I just pray that you would help us in this class. Uh, you would help me as I study through this and try to come up with these answers that you would give me clarity of mind and give me understanding and give me clarity of, of thought and voice and how to, to teach these things. I pray for each and every one that, that will be attending. I pray that, that it will be an enjoyable class, that it will be a class that they will learn. Uh, and I pray that it, in, in the midst of it all, they would just love you and adore you more and more uh, each and every day. And, and I just pray that you would, you would teach us, Father. And we just ask this in your name. Amen. All right. Thank you, guys.